Christmas, happy holidays, and welcome to the Movies to Watch Before You Die podcast. I am your host, Dylan, with my co-host. Gab. That was you. I that did a better job that, that time. That was the cue for you. <laughs> yeah, I did great. Are you proud of okay. me? I did so good. It, it took you a minute there, but that's fine. We are talking about... And she gave him the finger. She gave me the finger. We are talking about one of the greatest movies, I think, ever. A movie that I think is too qualified to even be debated as a movie to watch before you die. But Gab has never seen it. She's making some wild faces at me right now, which have got me oh. real concerned. But we are talking about <laughs> Die Hard. But before we start talking about Die Hard, Gab, why are the people listening to us? Well, Dylan, you and I are critically acclaimed Oh, fuck. I was going to do a bit saying that we were like acclaimed movie critics. And I said critically acclaimed and couldn't get get out of it. So I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I'm i so upset. I've been planning that all week. Um, you, you, I... you were planning that all week? We're drowning here, people. I'm a former <laughs> video editor who went to film school. Gab is a former actress who went to school for that as well. And we do think we have some bona fides to talk about these things. And also, we just love movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now that we got that out of the way, yeah, Deb, can you tell me what is Die Hard about? Dylan, I would love to tell you what Die Hard is about, but first I just, I have a very serious question for you. I'm very curious about this, and I waited until we were uh, recording the podcast to ask you. Um, Ooh, okay. Do you, when you watch a movie for the first time, uh, let's say for the podcast or for any other reason, do you put the captions on? Um. Generally, I, I don't mind having captions on, so I, I generally will have subtitles on for things. Yeah. Why? Because yeah. I was watching Die Hard last night alone, and I was like, should I be watching this with the subtitles? Because especially in these movies like from the 80s, sometimes the, the audio isn't great and things get muffled. And there were times when I was like, are these motherfuckers speaking German or are they saying I just can't understand what they're well, saying? Well, they are sometimes speaking German, yeah. Yes, but I couldn't differentiate. And I was like, God. And then I thought to myself, no, it's a movie. And, you know, you don't watch a movie in the movie theater with subtitles. So why would you put it on at home? And then I was like, but maybe it's helpful for me to understand it better. Um, I think it's and I was okay just curious. to. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I generally do. Uh, I think it really, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't think it should affect your enjoyment one way or another in a drastic way. Mm. Like there are people, you know, who are, hearing impaired who will watch with subtitles in the theater sure. you know what i mean yep. yeah um, yeah yeah I don't think, and what was the second question I, I think it's okay if you want to use subtitles is my answer well dylan the second question uh i'm gonna have to wait until later on in the episode because it is the the pivotal question about this movie then i already think i know what question that is but before you we get to do. the question about die hard let's finish talking about what it's about what's this all been about what am i working toward you think you know everything about me, don't you? I die, but you're bottom. I bloody well ought to. All right, Dylan. Well, Die Hard is a movie about a cop who is, uh, uh, I wouldn't say estranged from his wife, but maybe separated from his wife. He lives in New York. He's in the NYPD. She moves to California with the kids. Uh, their marriage is on the rocks, and he goes to uh, visit her and the kids for Christmas, ends up at her company Christmas party, which uh, is very quickly overrun by terrorists who have held them hostage. He manages to escape and has to disarm them and rectify the situation from a uh, a hideout point. Now, we don't want to give too much away, but we will issue a blanket spoiler warning for the rest of this. If you haven't seen Die Hard yet, which I think is an action classic, please watch it and then please come back. So I'm going to tell you now what the IMDb plot summary is. Wait, did I do a good job? 
I thought you did a good job. You okay, did solid. Thank you. You know I need that validation. Very good. Very good, Gav. You were thank wonderful. You. A New York City police officer tries to save his estranged wife and several <gasps> others taken hostage by terrorists during a Christmas party at the Nakatomi Plaza in Los Angeles. Honestly, now that I read it back, that's pretty dang spot on. I did an incredible job. And I would definitely have said estranged. I was surprised when you went off of that. I think I think the character hinges on his relationship with his wife. Um, yeah. But that's something I'll I'll get into more later. And the tagline is, it will blow you through the back wall of the theater. You know what's interesting about taglines? Sometimes they are, they're just like a, a comment on the movie, but sometimes it's like talking directly to the viewer from some like God, like what's, what's the name for a God voice? Um, Omnipresent? Omnipotent? Omniscience? Yeah. There's a lot of omnis. Omni from some kind of like omnipotent. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, like I who, who, what the fuck? Taglines can also, you know, I don't think that in the end they matter. They're they're normally just on a poster, which it makes sense yeah. because I don't know if you know the poster for Die Hard. Sometimes the poster is just a poster of the building, the mm -hmm. Nakatomi building, because when they were first making the movie, they had no faith in Bruce Willis as a movie star. Wow. Um, But I, I'm not a particular fan of that tagline. Like there are iconic taglines, but that's not important. I think yeah. what we should start doing, because we have plenty to talk about this movie, or at least I do, is get to our opinions. It's time for opinion time. All right. In this critic's opinion... You know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Well, I have a right to my opinion, and my opinion is you have no right to your opinion. Since I talked about this movie, since I suggested this movie, I would love to know, first and foremost, since you saw this for the very first time, which I probably saw it for the first time when I was like 16, I'm very curious... What did you think? What are your opinions? Well, I think you really want me to go first. You're the we already know that you like it. Why don't you talk first? Tell me why you like it, and then I'll tell you how I feel. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I could just build more suspense time for how much you love it. Hmm. So I literally found myself during this movie making lists of lines that I love from characters because there's so many. I think that the movie doesn't spend a lot of time focusing on. A lot of characters but the characters that it gives any focus to it makes them feel fleshed out as a person even mm -hmm. the character like nordberg who i think that's his name who's the anchor the not the anchor but he's the newsman the reporter oh yeah he has maybe 10 lines or less in this movie and i feel like i understand that character and what a douche he is um theo you know you can tell that Theo and Carl, they work together, but they are very different. Carl is obviously very straight-laced. Theo likes to have fun with it, even though the two of them get along well enough that they had a bet on whether Takagi was going to give up the information or not. You know what I mean? There are these things that are small details that if you've seen the movie numerous times like I have, you start to notice by now. Um, I love, you know, I love all the attention to detail in this movie. I love the SWAT guys who uh, are running through the bushes and one of them gets pricked by a thorn. Yeah, I, love the, I, I made a comment about that. Yeah, I love the thief who is in like the little candy area and he's like looking around and he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take this crunch bar. And then we go back and I i don't know if it's just an editing thing, but I like to think that he had enough time that he took a different candy bar as well because he's eating a different candy bar when they come back to him. So I'm like, maybe he just had two candy bars. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's literally only one thing I can think of for this movie that I don't enjoy. Um, and maybe I'll get to that later on. But I do also love, and it's sort of, I guess, a spoiler for a fact, 
this is based on a book and the book sort of is is very different in a lot of senses um it has a very different motivation for the main character and the motivation uh for the writer jeb stewart i think is his name when he was trying to figure it out was he was he got home he had a fight with his wife he went back out to drive just to cool off and he said he realized quickly while he was driving that he was wrong and this was now in the times of cell phones so he was like you know i really i owe her an apology but while he was on the highway all these cars are moving out of the way and he doesn't and just in time he sees that there is a refrigerator box on the highway and he does not have time to avoid it so he smacks into this thing he thought he was going to die, and fortunately, it was empty. And he said it crystallized for him at that moment that what this movie is about is a person who needs to say he's sorry to his wife. And you can really feel the entire time. Like, it, there's obviously key moments for that, but I just love the motivation of it, and I think it's something that is very relatable. And I think John McClane is such a relatable character, especially in the 80s when you have action heroes like Rambo, like schwarzenegger and predator you know what i mean schwarzenegger and stallone that's their decade and mm -hmm. as much as bruce willis is very in shape at the time he was like a wimp compared to you know those muscle-bound behemoths i did make a note that says um bruce willis couldn't have gotten more jacked for this role i think it's purposeful that he isn't and like i think he's in better shape than the average man well yeah but that's not saying much no offense america <laughs> i think he's in better shape than the average man and I think what matters is that he shouldn't be overpoweringly huge. He's not the tallest guy. You know what I mean? The first terrorist mm -hmm. he fights, uh, which we shouldn't call them terrorists. They are thieves. The first thief he fights is way bigger than he is. And he just like gets lucky that he's rolling on top of him and he happens to roll on his neck as they're going down the stairs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it just feels like even though he's the star of the movie, you don't feel like he is unbeatable. And I guess that's yeah. why by the end of the movie, he is beat to shit. Yeah. Yeah. So let me hear some of your thoughts and your opinions so I can start to to get a feel of how you're going on this thing. Yeah, um, I'm going to say this. I went into this movie. Uh, I'm not a big action movie person. Um, I went in with very low expectations. I was like, I'm not going to like this. Um, and here are some of my notes that came out as uh, as we went along. So, again, I'm going to continue to build the suspense. Um, the first thing I wrote is, oh, great, more computers that can do absolutely anything. Well, what do you mean? <laughs> but, uh, do you know why you wrote that down? Yeah, because the the hacker on the computer who was uh, so I guess like trying to get through the security system and whatever, like and the computer was just like first layer. I don't know. Oh, I can't remember the specifics. Um, he figures out that the translation of. Akagi, who is, I guess, like the CEO, is Red Castle, and that's the first password. I don't know. Whatever it was, it just felt like it was these computers that could do anything that he just, like, hit a couple buttons, and it was like, okay, everything is unlocked. And like, Yeah, to be fair, that's, you know, that's one of those things that it's like, you have to have enough suspension or disbelief to get past it, because it's not a big right. enough deal that it matters. Like, right. there's a thing that maybe I can, you know what, I'll mention it now, because we said spoilers, you've seen the movie already. Obviously, it shows at the end that Theo was going to be driving an ambulance, and that's what they were going to escape in, right? Mm -hmm. There's a very clear shot of those terrorists coming out of that truck at the beginning, and there's no ambulance in there. Yeah. And it's literally, there's um, a documentary on Netflix, the, the Movies That Made Us, and they talk about Die Hard, and I highly recommend it if you do like this movie. And they literally, you know, they were coming up with some things on the spot, and they came up with the ambulance thing on the spot because it was like, well, they have to have some sort of escape that they're planning, yada, yada. And... They talked to the director, John McTiernan. They're like, what are you going to do? We don't see the ambulance in the car. And he goes, 
you know what? If by this point, that's what breaks the movie for these people, we don't have a chance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. He was like, if it matters by that point, we're fucked. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I just think that it's like a trope in movies where it's like, and we have this computer, and so therefore we have the solution. Um, And computers just don't work like that. Um, (laughs) I wrote, why did the blonde guy need to use his armpits to slide down that very normal staircase? I thought it was cool. I think is a valid question. It Um, is, but he goes real fast. He does, but like, ow, my pits. Um, I wrote, wait, why did he he need to make fists with his toes? Well, I'll get to that, but he also is the only guy who like came super relaxed for work today. He's in like a gray sweater and gray sweatpants. Yeah. Everybody else is like, they're all in a different variety of outfits, but he's the only one who was like, shit, I Pumpy. just came in my pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. He he was in his athleisure. Yes. Um, The fist with your toes thing was supposed to help with uh, jet lag. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I'm not even going to dignify that with more conversation. It works, um, and yeah. then I wrote it works. Oh shit, he's barefoot, which I think is hilarious. I should I should let you know because you actually probably don't know this about me. I think people that are barefoot in situations where shoes are are uh, normal is hilarious. Um, you're walking down the street and you see someone dressed in a regular outfit and they're barefoot, hilarious. Um, so it re that really got me. That was such a selling point for this movie. Was like all of this is happening. They they're being taken hostage. He's got to figure out a way to stop them. He's trying to contact the police. He's trying to and. By the way, he's barefoot while it is he's just doing like it. the cherry on top of his shitty situation. Yes. Because like things would he... be bad enough right. without, you know, there's a hostage situation. It does should he need shoes? Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, even just like he tries on the pair of shoes and they're too small. And he says something like, of all the terrorists in the world, I kill the one with the smallest feet. Like it's so funny. I love that he was barefoot. Um uh, I, I don't want to go through all of these notes. They feel they feel like they're not all super important. Um, I will say this: Alan Rickman, love him to death. Uh, oop, oh, oh, maybe a little too much. R.I.P. That was maybe too literal. Um, uh, what is he trying to have a German accent? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't like think it's. It. I think it's a subtle one. Like I think I they're like all it. vaguely European. I don't think they had to be straight out of the Deutschland. You know what I mean? Like he's not goose stepping you know what i mean like he you know he just has to sound european which he naturally is yeah so why did he have to i don't know i didn't appreciate his accent um i've never cared about it once i think they all they all speak terrible fractured german apparently anyway uh, it was bad um i wrote this movie has clearly aged because he wants the code to the computer because quote the computer controls the vault where the money is but we all know money is now only kept in computers because it's not real anymore um so that was give me the password for your crypto bro yeah honestly they're still still for real money a backing to it so it would make sense that a major corporation like this would have a vault i have read before that it doesn't make sense that they have these bearer bonds instead of having actual cash yeah but i think that the bearer bonds look more like snow when they're raining down at the end so i wrote oh shit he shot the asian guy um these fake german accents are killing me uh then i wrote down quote there are there are rules for policemen and then lol not anymore um yeah i know right I was like, are there? there I'm like, John McClane's the only policeman I still actively root for a lot of the time. Yeah, honestly, honestly. Um, He didn't see it that way, so he won't be joining us for the rest of his life, he says as he's casually eating a finger sandwich. Then I wrote, this is awesome. And so... (laughs) That's one of my... Go on, go on. I'm sorry. It was great. Listen, I can't hold it back anymore. Um, I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) Yes! 
start to fucking finish. I loved it. And I sincerely went in thinking, I'm not going to like this. This is not my genre of movie. It's so much um, smarter than the standard average movie, I feel like. So much smarter. Um, it It's it's cheesy, but not too cheesy. It's action-y, but it's not too action-y. Um, there weren't any, like, gratuitous fight scenes that were like look at look at like testosterone like it just it made sense um it had me on the edge of my seat i will say this i have a fear of falling which i learned recently is different from a fear of heights i have a fear of falling and all of the scenes where he almost fell really got me i was like ah! there's one in particular i feel like the first time that he he like has to jump off the roof when the three guys converge on him and he goes uh and i'm like oh my god is he just off the building the first time i saw it and no you see like he goes slightly off to a slightly lower level and hits a railing and you're like, yeah. oh, his ribs are definitely screwed. But I literally have a list here of Hans's awesome lines, John's awesome lines, and then just awesome lines from other people. And like at one point I just put random other lines that I enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I see them. Like for some reason I can tell you that I quote that at times. Like I'll be playing Call of Duty online and I'll go, yeah, I see them. <laughs> um, or just the one stupid like Fabio looking dude who comes over just to go, they're using artillery on us. And it's like, I love that Hans is like, no, you idiot. It's the policeman. Like, yeah. But there's just so many, there's so many good lines. It's so, it's so, it's not realistic, but it's also ultra realistic. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that speaks to what you were saying about John McClane seeming like a real person where he's not yes. some like, he's not Rambo on the roof. It's like, no, this could be, this could legitimately happen. Um, I wrote down, if I've learned one thing from this movie, it's that I don't understand how walkie talkies work. <laughs> I know it's a CB radio, but I don't understand how they work. They can all just hear each other. Like if did, you're on the same Hans, channel. Yeah. Was Hans listening to him and the sergeant talk about their children? I think that they change channels at some point. I think they say that. Um, but even so, I, I don't think Hans had any interest in interfering with it, with that. He has bigger issues by that point. Sure, but sure. There is an extent where by the end, it's wonderful once John reunites with Holly, but the re the reunion we're almost as happy to see is John and Al. Yes, <laughs> and the two of them yeah. are like, Holly, let me put you to the side for a second because I got to hug this man. Like, Yes, it so was such a, a warm hug. Yes. Yes. Um, I will say... Uh, I have a couple of notes that are uh, I, I wrote was it necessary for the cop to get pricked by the rose bush um, I a couple of things that I didn't quite understand and maybe that was just like a first watch situation um, I wrote in the middle of this movie right I wrote who are these guys and why do they have a rocket launcher like what like it's just I'm a little like you know um, I think that just shows the preparedness of their plan that they were okay. so they knew exactly what the LAPD was going to come with like they were a hundred thousand percent set for everything that was going to happen except for John McClane. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. And then I wrote, he blew up that much of the building and it didn't collapse and absolutely no one got hurt. Like when he sends the, the, yeah, bomb the, C4 with the computer. Down. Yeah. They make a point and it's, it's like one of those things that I feel like you see in movies since man of steel, where the entire city is destroyed in comic movies. They'd be like, fortunately the entire city has been emptied out for uh labor labor day weekend i don't know um <laughs> right but they make a point of showing you that floors zero to 29 well floors one to 29 there's no zero floor but floors yeah. one to 29 are 100 empty and i think it makes sense that the building does not catch on fire there is an explosion that just basically blows all those windows out on that floor and obviously fucks up the guy who was near the elevator pardon my language but i'm this movie requires cursing because it's fucking yeah. awesome but yeah. um 
I do think it makes sense. And I do think that, you know, that is the first question he has too. Like, is the, is the building on fire? Like, did I just take this whole building out? But it is one of the, it's like one of the first few moments where he goes from not just fighting with them to like, Oh, I got the upper hand for a second. Like, Oh, I, I messed your plan up big time this time. Didn't I? Yeah. Cause the first people that he kills, um, he kills Carl's brother. He kills the, the two other guys upstairs in the Takagi boardroom. Um, and it's sort of like, okay, well, this guy's irritating. He hasn't ruined anything for them yet. And then it's like, oh, he's interfering with our plan with the police. Now he's really interfering. Yeah. Um, I'm like, should I just go through the the list of Well, lines hold on. I have I a love? couple. I have a couple more. Hold on. Oh, go on. Um, I wrote, is that the principal from the Breakfast Club? It is. Ah, yes, it look is. Look at me go. Look at me go. I got you um, for the rest of your natural born life. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wrote, uh, what kind of company throws their holiday party on Christmas Eve? I was offended by that. I um, do think that's interesting. I guess I don't really think about that. Yeah. Like I guess that kind of makes sense. Have to go home to their kids and shit. Like, what are they doing? They're not um, allowed to have families. They're too busy 80s working, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> which I love. There's nothing more 80s businessman than Ellis doing a line of Coke on not even his own desk. Yeah. Like, they they yeah, go in there yeah, and yeah. he's just like, sorry, guys. Like <laughs> That was hilarious. Which I also I, really like that character. Did you notice? Oh, by the way, I know we did Mask of the Phantasm last week. The guy who plays Ellis was also the voice of the DA character in that. Interesting. Oh, Just okay. small world thing. But yeah. did you notice that when Ellis, you know, sprickens the talk and is talking with the thieves, they bring him a can of Coke? Yes. He wanted Coke and they misunderstood what kind of Coke he wanted. Oh, that's funny. I have always loved that. Like, it's not a thing I realized on first watch, but once I saw it, I was like, I can't unsee this. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I wrote, they're upset that John McClane let that guy die. He was the one being a piece of shit trying to negotiate. Speaking of Ellis. He like, Ellis is just so dumb. Yeah. And like, you, it it's again, it's one of those, I'm sure you were on the edge of your seat, like, oh my God, how much is Ellis about to give away? How much is yes. he about to screw up right here? And fortunately, he doesn't give the full game away. And I love the fact that the entire movie, there is a picture sitting right behind Hans that yep. he does not realize like, oh, I should turn this up. And you're just like waiting for that moment. And when it finally does happen, it's such a oh shit moment when he goes, Mrs. McLean. And you're like, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and yeah, and then my my last gripe with this film was uh, Hans dangling with the gun, just mm-hmm. not shooting. Well, I think the point is that he is attempting to shoot. So he is bringing his arm up. He's about to shoot. And I feel like we do have Hans in somewhat of slow motion while we sort of have John and Holly in regular motion. But Hans is supposed to be lifting his arm at the same time as they are getting that watch off of her. The watch that she got for doing such a good job that Ellis points the out Rolex. at the very beginning. The Rolex. Yep. And... I'm going to bring a little fact in right now to Alan Rickman. That was the very last thing he filmed because he was filming his own stunt, which it's a 40 foot drop onto a, like a big air cushion. And apparently, you know, they said, we're going to do three, two, one, go. And then John McTiernan apparently told them, drop him on one. So uh, he was obviously pissed about it, but I got to say, it's such a great reaction shot you get from him. Oh, it's so good. It's It's so so good. I can't believe um, he did that. He's a little old to be dropping 40 feet. Not at the time. I mean, he's not a young man. And it was he didn't like land on his feet. You know what I mean? He's not a cat. Uh, I mean, know, I guess. He just, he did instead of a stunt man. And Bruce Willis did a lot of his own stunts for this too. Yeah, I believe that. 
Um, there's also, I love the sequence where John, he's got to get off the roof because they're about to blow the roof and the FBI is trying to shoot him. And it's such a great, well-written moment of, he jumps off the roof, he survived the explosion. Oh no, he's stuck outside of the window. Okay, he's able to shoot through the window. Oh no, the hose is still attached and it's pulling him down. Okay, he's able to get the hose off. And it's that like, was the worst 30 part. seconds, that you're like, oh, 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 you know, you're up, down, up, I, down. I, I was not well. I was not well. What did I have here? I also love, and I do want to, obviously, I think the action and the effects and the music are all top notch in this, but I do want to talk a little bit more, just something that I think is so well written. The first conversation between Holly and John, they are in Ellis's bathroom um, and she asks him where he's staying. And in something that I fully think is made up, he says he's staying with Cappy Robertson Pomona. And she's laughing because Pomona's obviously far away. And they're each sort of downplaying what they really want. And it's obviously the issue with their relationship is neither one of them can honestly communicate well. Yeah. But John clearly wants to stay with her and the kids. She clearly wants him there. And they can't say that. And mm -hmm. she's finally the one who is able to say that. You know what I mean? To an extent. And yeah. he can't say that until he thinks he's going to die. That he's like able to tell Al, you have to tell my wife I'm sorry. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I I think he's very well written for a stupid action character. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, absolutely. The whole time, all I was thinking was he's got to get back to his wife. Like, it's not about I got to be a hero. It's really not even about I got to save all these people. It's like I have to get back to my wife and my and, you know, consequentially, my kids. Yeah. Um, And I thought it was so great. I thought the reunion was great. I thought it was very, like, romantic without being like one of those, like, cheesy, like, you know, big kiss at the end like it was just so it was so good it was so good i can't tell you how how happy it makes me to hear you say that can we talk about um should we talk about christmas yet or no uh it doesn't matter uh let's let's talk about well, you've mentioned it so let's talk about it obviously the big question here is is this a christmas movie what do you think what say you you know it's it could really work on any holiday you know what i mean this could have been the company Halloween party and John's dressed as a skeleton. You know what I mean? Sure. It's not consequential that it's Christmas. But I think it is Christmas. So at the end of the day, I think it's a Christmas movie if you want it to be. Would I love, like, would I be fine watching this every Christmas? Yes. And I literally made a mute, uh, a list. Christmas, Christmassy things throughout the movie. So oh. I think a lot of the movie features jingling bells, which are commonly associated with Christmas. Yes. Um, Al sings let it snow yep uh christmas and hollis is played by argyle on the radio mm -hmm. the santa statue that he sees that gives him the idea to write now i have a machine gun ho 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 on mm -hmm. um i should know the character's name but carl's brother uh argyle's line if this is what y'all do for christmas i gotta be here for new year's mm -hmm. theo does a rendition of twas the night before christmas we have the christmas tree falling over at the end after the elevator explodes which i love how bad shit things have gotten by then that like you hear the ding for the elevator and it's just explosion like he's just yeah i think john mcclain just goes jesus christ because it's like <laughs> oh my god uh and we have what does john mcclain use to have that gun on his back christmas tape it specifically mm -hmm. says season's greetings and i wrote down at the end that the bearer bonds are raining down like snow and i think mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the reason for it but like they are particularly they pick something white in nature you know what i mean white in yep. color yep what do you think, Gab? Do you think it's a Christmas movie? I think it has enough reason that you can say it is. Well, you didn't answer one way or the other. So 
I think are you it saying is. you do? Okay. I think it has enough to justify it as a Christmas movie. Yeah. I'm going to say this about 15 minutes in. One of the first notes I wrote actually is this is definitely a Christmas movie. Really? Um, because I think it is consequential that it's Christmas. I don't think John would be in LA or wherever they are in California to, to visit his wife and kids for any other holiday. I think it's Christmas. I think yeah, that's it's probably a good point. I think it's very um, Christmas is, you know, supposed to be a time when you, uh, I don't know, I guess, reflect on how much you love people. Um, it's a time, I don't know, like it's important. You know what I mean? And and I think it none of it unfolds unless it's Christmas. I think Christmas Eve is the perfect time to get away with a heist like that because, you know, you people are unsuspecting. Things are yep. typically closed. It's quiet. Um, that couldn't have just been like a regular Tuesday. Um, I think it's I think all of the music, all of the score is is has hints of Christmas in it from top to bottom. Um, I think it's a Christmas movie. And I got to tell you, Dylan, I think it's my favorite Christmas movie because I'm not really a big Christmas fan. We're agreeing um, on so much, Gab. I'm loving this. I'm loving it right now. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Um, I loved it. I I could see myself watching it every Christmas. I um, I I. I think it I think it is a Christmas movie. And I even put an Instagram survey up. Um, it hasn't been up for a terribly long amount of time, but so far we have 72% say yes, it is a Christmas movie. That is 28 votes. That's a pretty overwhelming and, majority. Yeah, 28% say no, that's eleven votes. And to the people that said no, I think you're crazy. Uh somebody did make a good point to me. A, a very good friend of mine said, Is Harry Potter a Christmas movie? And I think one of I, them is they specifically give gifts to each other in one of them, I think. Well, yeah, but I think it's it takes place over the course of a full year, uh, you know, True. a school year. And part of that school year is during Christmas. But I, I don't think that it Harry Potter is a Christmas movie, but I don't think like because only part of it takes place during Christmas. I think this whole thing takes place during Christmas. It's a Christmas movie. I also think um, that damn, I just lost my train of thought. I'm so excited. But I will say this. Um I think it was genius to make a Christmas movie, a Christmas action movie, because you have also you have Christmas romances, you have Christmas rom-coms, you have Christmas dramas, you have Christmas. But an action movie like name one other Christmas action movie. There is none. There it's is genius. ironically a movie out right now called Violent Night, which oh, yeah. is uh, David Harbour playing Santa Claus in essentially yeah, a John McClane situation. Yeah, where... which is bullshit. Leave John McClane to John McClane. Well, it's another thing that I think would speak to the greatness of this movie is that Die Hard spurned so many movies that are like Die Hard. Um, yeah. I think I have a list of them in when we get to the facts, which I think we may have to go a little bit longer on this episode so that we can get to some of the facts here. Honestly, I want to say one more thing on the Christmas thing. Um, Elf, right? Classic Christmas yeah, movie. Yeah, what about Elf? I'm not, I I'm think not Elf. It's fine. Oh, okay. We don't, we'll we don't have to go Yeah, we don't have time for that. Um, Elf is a Christmas movie. No one would argue that. But really, what is Elf? Elf is a coming-of-age story. Elf is a um, a story about family, about self-discovery, about acceptance, about romance and love. Um, and yet, it is a Christmas movie. What is Die Hard about, right? Die Hard is a story about mending relationships, and it's an action movie. It's about killing the bad guys and whatever. And it's also a Christmas movie. I just don't think that, like, you need to have elves and Santa and presents for a movie to be a Christmas movie. That's there's all also I'm saying. horror movies that are inherently Christmas movies too, like uh, Krampus or there's another one that I always recommend to people called a Christmas horror story where Santa fights zombified elves who are like actively cursing at him. It's pretty oh. hysterical. Okay. It's not a great movie, 
but I can't think of any other movie where somebody says the line, I'm going to bite your shiny red ass to Santa. <laughs> so I would recommend wow. it just for that. I All also right. made lists here of John's smart choices. I made lists of awesome lines, like I said. Wow. I'm not sure if you want to go over either of those things, but we can if you would like to. It's up to you. Um, this Is this actually one of your favorite movies? This is literally one of my top five favorite movies. Wow. I'm sure I, I understand. I totally understand. I love it. I'm sold. I have such a breath of relief right now. Okay? <laughs> I was like, I'll just die if she doesn't like it. Like I was literally ready to be like, this movie is going to be a fucking waste of my time. And I, from start to finish, I was bought in. I loved it. I really thought the whole time I was like, because I, I remember when we got off air, you were like an action movie. And I was, you know, I if it was just like a super generic action movie, I would totally have gotten your feeling. And I was like, I do think that this will rise above what she thinks it is. Yeah, it did fully. Will will you at some point say yippee ki motherfucker? Oh my god, I've said it three times today. All in my head to myself. I do also love when um, Han says at the end, he goes, yippee ki motherfucker. Like, he <laughs> says it like, it's the same line, but he just says it so weirdly that you're like, so weird. <laughs> yeah, it like doesn't sound right coming out of his mouth. Everything, like, the first like 10 things Han says are like so fucking cool, I think. Mm-hmm. When he says I'm going to count to three. There will not be a four. I'm like, oh, fuck. How many times has your mother said that in your life? Because my mom used to say that shit all the fucking time. <laughs> yeah, but you don't care when they say it. Like, you're you're going to stop at three. You know what I mean? <laughs> it really is I nice actually think I've heard my mom say that specifically. I think she said there will not be a four. And I bet that was fucking from Die Hard, that stupid bitch. Love you, mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> she she doesn't go- know how to listen to this. <laughs> I'm, I know it's from something else, but I thought it was awesome when he's, I've said the line before. Alexander wept when he saw the breadth of his domain for there were no more worlds to conquer. Mm, and like, I know, yes. I think that might be from, I don't know what it's from originally. It sounds like something out of that famous poem, Ozymandias or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's so cool. He, Mr. Takagi will not be joining us for the rest of his life. Yeah, that was so you amazing. You said it once already and I just love it. it. I'm like, oh no. As he's casually consuming a finger sandwich. I also love when he's pretending to be Bill Clay, normal mm-hmm. American businessman, and he's like, oh God, you're one of them, aren't you? <laughs> like, yeah. It's not quite right, but it's like clearly not supposed to be quite right. But I love his attempt at the American accent. Yes. There's also something I noticed when rewatching it that I had never noticed before. There's a moment when John is talking to Al. He goes, you know, they're European. You can tell by their clothes. He takes mm-hmm. a long pause and then he says, and they're cigarettes. And I was like, what's the deal with that? Because I've never really thought about it that much before. And I, you know, I like to think I know this movie like the back of my hand. Apparently, and you can tell, he notices on the very first guy he kills, the watch. Mm-hmm. And... I think it was going to be more of a plot point, but they ended up deleting some scenes that every one of the terrorists is wearing the same watch. They like synchronize at one point. Mm. So he apparently notices that when he is talking to Bill Clay, that he's wearing that watch. And that's how he knows that he is one of them. Mm. Interesting. Um, Did it gross you out when he's pulling the glass out of his foot? A little bit, yeah, but not in like a, I can't watch this way, in like a oof. Um, but I loved the conversation. I just, I loved it. I loved the conversation they were having while it happened. I loved how, um, you know, I'm going to say this. I'm from New York. I've lived in New York my whole life. I don't like it when people pretend to be New York. I don't like when movies have like, oh, I'm a stereotypical New Yorker. Um, and I, I thought that. Yeah, I'm walking here. <laughs> exactly i'm glad near um 
I think that Bruce Willis did a phenomenal job. He did feel like he was inherently a, a New Yorker in California. Um, he was tougher than everyone. He was a little grittier than everyone. He was a little bit less sensitive, but not in like a, yeah, I'm a caricature of a New Yorker. Like not in, in that way that is kind of insulting, you know? This is by far my favorite Bruce Willis movie and my favorite Bruce Willis performance. Um, there's five Die Hard movies. Oh, I cannot support that. I, I noticed there was a Die Hard 2 and I was like, no, absolutely Which not. Which it is called at times Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Which I do really appreciate the name, but I don't think, I think three of them are really good. Mm. There is an interesting thing that, as I was saying, a lot of movies copy Die Hard in um, action movie while trapped in this place sense. Mm -hmm. What the Die Hard sequels did is each time it got bigger and bigger. The second one, he's in an entire airport. Entire airport. The third sequel, Die Hard with a Vengeance, it's an entire city. The fourth movie, he's going across the entire country. And apparently, I've never even seen the fifth one. But in the fifth one, they have to travel the whole globe. Um, if you were only going to watch one of the Die Hard, I'd highly recommend Die Hard with a Vengeance with him and Samuel L. Jackson. And it connects back into the first one in more ways than a lot of the other ones do. Yeah, let's don't push your luck. I'm not going to push it on you, but I'm saying if you like this, I think you would like that too. Is it Christmas? It is not Christmas. Do any of them ever go back to Christmas? I think that Die was Hard 2 is also on Christmas. Oh, okay, good. All right. All right. Um, well, I definitely want to get to some facts. Um, so why don't we do that? Yes, let's get to some of the many facts about Die Hard. I want the truth! Face the facts, dokes. Facts have no place with an organized religion. All right, Cab. So I know with the facts, we normally start with uh, those review numbers. So let's get to those. So okay. first of all, IMDb gives us an 8.2 out of 10. Which yep. is pretty high. If we go over to Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter puts it at 94%, wow. an average rating of 8.6 out of 10, with 79 fresh reviews and 5 rotten. The audience score, 94%, average score 4.4 out of 5. Wow. As far as box office, budget $28 million, gross $142 million worldwide. Um, I think before I get to our reviews and stuff, it was nominated for four Academy Awards at the 1989 Academy Awards. Whoa. Best sound, best film editing, best effects, parentheses, sound effects, editing, and best effects for visual effects. Uh, hmm. So okay. I do think you honestly could probably give it a very different set of awards. Like I do think it's incredibly well-written for an adaptation that ends up being very different because this is adapted mm -hmm. from a book. Mm -hmm. um, it was the winner of the best foreign language film at the Awards of the Japanese Academy. And in oh. 2017, it was inducted into the National Film Registry, meaning it's now preserved in the Library of Congress for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. I would say this movie is 300,000 times more culturally, historically, and what was the other one? Aesthetically. Aesthetically significant than Clerks. Now, Gab, there's no need to put one thing down when we bring up one other thing, okay? We can, I'm be, just we saying. can be nice to all things here, okay? All right. Yeah, all and right. we love Keen Machine and Scotty Cameron the same. All right, keep going. We do. This was directed <laughs> by John McTiernan, who also directed Predator, The Hunt for Red October, and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Interesting. This was written by Jeb Stewart and Stephen E. D'Souza, who also wrote Commando, which is a much worse, like, it's a much stupider action movie. It's a lot of fun, but it's stupid. The Running Man, another Austin, Schwar uh, Austin Schwarzenegger, Arnold Schwarzenegger what? movie. Yeah, baby, yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Die Hard 2, Street Fighter, Ricochet, and lastly, a movie that we will at some point be covering because I will make you watch it, The Fugitive. Yeah. Obviously, it stars Bruce Willis from Pulp Fiction and The Sixth Sense, Alan Rickman from the Harry Potter films and Galaxy Quest, uh, Bonnie Bedelia from Presumed Innocent, Reginald Vell Johnson from Family Matters, a.k.a. The Urkel Show. Yeah, that that all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it was him. Paul and Gleason. Ghostbusters. Reginald Vell Johnson's in Ghostbusters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very briefly. That's funny because uh, I think it's William Atherton who plays the newscaster is also from Ghostbusters. Hmm. It's true. This man has no dick, they say to him. <laughs> I remember that specifically. Yeah. Uh, Paul Gleason, who you pointed out, is from The Breakfast Club. Alexander Gudinoff, who plays uh, Carl, the evil thief, was a classical ballet dancer with the Moscow Classical Ballet. Well, good for him. He should be should have been in Black Swan. That would have been a cool thing. I think he was probably dead by then. Not important. Mm. We're going to breeze right past that. And Wait, lastly, he's dead? Yes. And How? Lastly, Why? Uh, How do you know? I, I you know say that, that like is. it's obvious. How do you know? I don't know. Did uh, you get an alert on your phone when he died? No, I think he died a long time ago. I think he died, unfortunately, sadly young. Why? But like, I'm just so confused. He he seems like such an irrelevant person. Like he's not he's never been in anything else. You're not super familiar with the Moscow Ballet Company. So how do you know that he died young? He was also uh, in many other movies. You know what I mean? Like, was he a legendary actor? No, but he was also in uh, The Money Pit, for example, uh, the Tom Hanks movie. And I know that he was in other things. I'm having trouble thinking of other things. But yeah, he was in movies, you know, quite a few movies through through the 80s. But you're still avoiding the question of how do you know that he's dead? I don't know. I guess, my, I think, you know, I think I, what I'm, I'm getting at is seen the money pit and die hard. And I looked him up at some point. I think maybe you had a hand in his untimely death. I did not. Based on, I mean, you're getting a little a little upset, Dylan. Why don't you have something you'd like to confess? Yes, I confess that he died in 1995. So if you're saying that at three years old, I killed this man, I want you to come with some facts, motherfucker. We're in the saying... fact segment and you have no facts to pack this up. Well, I'm saying if, if at three years old you knew he died and you've known since then, I didn't then there's know something it. Fishy. What am I, Stewie Griffin? <laughs> it's, that's what it sounds like. All right, this bit is old. Go on. Okay. And now, sadly, Clarence Gilliard Jr. played Theo. He was from Walker, Texas Jr. and he just recently died. I hope you feel good about that now that we're making jokes about people's deaths. Well, did you have anything to do with that? I did not have anything to do with that. Although okay. I do not know for a fact how he passed. Maybe mm -hmm. it was because of me in some way. Could have been. R.I.P. Clarence Gilliard. Also, R.I.P. Alan Rickman. Yeah, we didn't. Uh, he died somewhere in between the two of those. Yeah. Yes. Alan Rickman. Um, I, I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Alan Rickman because my college uh, freshman year roommate, Nicole, shout out Nicole, um, was so in love with him. She uh, had a poster on her wall of him. She thought he was so hot. And I'm talking like 60, 70 year old Alan Rickman. She loved Alan Rickman. He was on Broadway and uh, she met him at the stage door and it just turned her whole life upside down. I mean, she just loved him more than anyone should love anyone. Did she already and... feel this way when she met him at the stage door or was it that he was so nice when she met him at the stage door? Oh, no, she she was like one of those. I stay up really late at night writing Harry Potter fan fiction where Snape <laughs> okay. is like she was. Yeah, she she really loved him. Um so anyway, that's not relevant. I just know Nicole doesn't listen to this and I wanted to tell the world that she wrote Harry Potter fan fiction and loved Alan Rickman and I'll never forget how she cried when he died. Moving on. Next episode, we will do nothing but read Harry Potter fan fictions from Nicole. Okay, 
So Honestly, we, we could. We will definitely not. Uh, should <laughs> we get into reviews or behind the scenes facts? Get into reviews first. I want to know what the critics said. So first, Roger Ebert, our boy, gave it two stars out of four. What? He had a really big problem with Paul Gleason's character. So here's what he said. Okay. Without the deputy chief and all that he represents, Die Hard would have been a more than passable thriller. With him, it's a mess, and that's a shame. Because the film does contain superior special effects, impressive stunt work, and good performances, especially by Rickman as the terrorist. Here's a suggestion for thriller makers. You can't go wrong if all of the characters in your movie are at least as intelligent as most of the characters in your audience. Now, I think he, that he just hated how stupid that character was, but I don't think he's that big a deal. Yeah, I think he gave another level of tension that was appreciated. And to be honest, like, I don't really know. Like, like I, I feel as though the FBI does probably have some steps that they have to go through. Like, those agencies to me seem like they're probably very strict with, like, protocol. And so I think it makes sense that he was doing those things that we all know were a bad idea. But, like, you know, and also, I don't know, I I, I look at this as very much like pre-9-11. So it's kind of, which I'd love to discuss since we've decided that this episode is going to be a little longer, um, how maybe this movie would have changed post-9-11. Um, because that, that was kind of something that really I was thinking about quite a lot while we were watching, while I was watching it. Um but uh, yeah, it didn't bother me. It just felt like they, in my mind, they had a very specific set of rules that they had to follow and steps that in procedures that they needed to to do. Mm -hmm. And um, even though obviously we all knew like John McClane was the person to listen to, like, what were we going to do? The FBI is going to FBI. Yeah, um, I I don't think that there ends up being too many major differences with post 9-11. Besides, I think that they change like you know, not to sound terrible about this, they probably changed the ethnicity of the thieves because the whole point is supposed to be that they seem vaguely terroristic, which post 9-11, we were obviously thinking of that differently. And obviously in, you know, a stereotypical and unfortunate way. But that's why I think now we've sort of gone back to, you know, if we have bad guys of a random ethnicity, I think they've gone back to being now very vaguely Eastern European as they were in the 80s now. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh but I also was just going to say, I think it also just makes sense to have that character, uh, the deputy chief, because everybody else fully believes John McClane. And it makes sense to have somebody out there who's like, well, what if this guy's not for real? Like, as dumb as he wants to make him seem, all we know is there's a guy in there who said that he can tell by their fake IDs. So like he says at one point, he's like, the guy could be a freaking bartender. And you know what? He's not saying anything crazy. Like, he's not totally out of whack. And yeah. I think they're supposed to seem stupider. Like we're supposed to be like, no, Alan, John rock. These guys suck when they're like, you know, they're, it's blind fire. They're missing everything. No, they're shooting at the lights. And then you have him a second later going, they're shooting at the lights. Like, yeah, he's obviously supposed to be like a comparison that we can say, oh my God, thank goodness. John and Al are there. Otherwise these guys would bungle the situation even further. Right. I totally agree. And I also think it's like, you know, sometimes like, when you're at work, right. And you're doing your job, you know, what actually happens in the day to day. And then you get a manager that walks in and thinks they know better than you. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, I'm the one that does this every day. You might be the head honcho. You might have a higher salary, but you're not in the shit the way that I am in the shit. So I'm going to tell you how it goes. Um, and also I, that's, perfectly that's how I, putting it. yeah, that's how I, I understood it. And, um, he did seem like a, like a, a boss that thinks they know everything. 
that's also it goes perfectly back to what you're saying when he's like it's like he pulled the trigger himself because he didn't do anything and he's like no if he had you know given himself up we'd be talking to them right now and it's like this guy clearly doesn't understand the situation much in the way mm-hmm. that ellis clearly didn't really understand the situation yeah you know, i think yeah. john says something like you know ellis may not know what kind of guy you are but i do mm-hmm. you know what i mean and the point is that ellis uh deputy chief Dwayne, uh they 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 don't really understand the situation as well as they think they do yeah absolutely and i think it just like i said it added another layer of tension where it was like oh my god now we have the fbi here and I think it was extremely necessary that Hans and and the terrorists were expecting the FBI to fumble it. Like they, I don't necessarily know that the FBI fumbled the situation as much as they followed protocol, which yeah, is he just what knew exactly they were what thinking. they would do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, I didn't have a problem with it at all. I, I just thought it was another obstacle that he had to overcome. And what I loved about it was that the it was another obstacle that wasn't in his immediate vicinity. So now he's he's got a way to communicate with them, um, but they, they just won't listen. Yeah, I was surprised what an issue that was for Roger Ebert. But yeah, let's move on to a couple more blurbs. Um, oh, I didn't even read the critics consensus critics consensus on Rotten Tomatoes. Its many imitators and sequels have never come close to matching the taut thrills of the definitive holiday action classic. Holiday action classic. Agreed. And yeah. There are it. not enough holiday action classics, as you said. Yeah. Uh, no, David I didn't Scarrett. say there aren't enough. No, you said there's not enough holiday action movies. Okay. I said Or you just said that no you can't other. think of many others. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, David Starrett from the Christian Science Monitor said most of the action is run-of-the-mill Hollywood blood and thunder but a couple of scenes are unusually reprehensible. Oh. He he was one of the five Roddens, I'm guessing. (laughs) Richard Schickel from Time Magazine. In the first half of director John McTiernan's movie, Willis wears an undershirt. In the second half, he gets rid of it. And that's pretty much it for his performance. Oh my Which again, I'm like, we were not watching the same movie, dude. Because again, like maybe I found, you know, the only three people who were Rodden towards it and I couldn't believe it. I think they said there were five total runs, but let's get to some positives. Brian McKay from eFilmCritic.com. Rent it on Christmas Eve and give that wonderful life shit a rest for one year. Marjorie yeah. Baumgarten from Austin Chronicle. Bruce Willis discovered his movie legs in this superb action movie. Chuck O'Leary from FullViewDriveIn.com. A seminal action film that created an entire subgenre. Super action. But the key to its success is how it effectively pits Willis's common man hero against Rickman's haughty arch-villain. Mm. Greg Maki from the Star Democrat. Not only the best action movie ever made, but one of the very best of any genre. Wow. Last uh, review, oh, second to last review. Brian Eggert from the Deep Focus Review. The gold standard for action filmmaking. What action movie tropes Die Hard doesn't follow, it reinvents or altogether originates. And all of them have yet to be bettered. Mm. Yeah. Last one. We're bringing it back, baby. The IMDb featured review. Okay. Eight out of 10 top action film of the 1980s. Every so often, a film comes along that resets the standard for its genre. Die Hard did just that very thing for action films. Any film that inspires copycats and wannabes really does its job well. Bruce Willis made a very successful transition from the small screen to the big screen as the everyday Joe forced into being the hero. This film has all the necessary ingredients to qualify it as a great action movie. All you have to do is see it for yourself. Particularly well done is the performance of Alan Rickman as the chief villain Hans Gruber. You can come up with good arguments for many action films as to which is the best all time, and this one is no exception. Well done. Yeah. All right. Now that we're done with reviews, you want to hear some of these facts? Yeah. 
fact fact me up. Go fact yourself. Okay. <laughs> the fictional Nakatomi Plaza was actually the headquarters of 20th Century Studios. Pause. Did I just hear you say plaza? Plaza. Plaza? Plaza? Was that very plaza. New York of me? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, I feel you, like that was a very Long Island accent of me. Plaza. I I don't know. I'm I'm blown away. I feel like Plaza is. New it's York. like when my mother, who also does not listen to the podcast, says traumatizing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, your mom goes full Jamie uh, Lee Curtis. <laughs> she says things are traumatizing. Okay, <laughs> that's hilarious. Shout but, out Aunt Carrie. Shout out Aunt Carrie. The fictional Nakatomi Plaza is the headquarters of 20th Century Studios, so the studio could use one of its own buildings and didn't have to hold back on stunts and action sequences. Some of the middle floors were occupied by legal and administrative departments, so only empty floors were used for filming. Still, the filming of scenes that involved gunfire had to be postponed until after hours because some of the employees from the active floors were complaining about the noise. (laughs) That's incredible. Great, smart. The costume department had 17 undershirts in various stages of degradation on hand for Bruce Willis. Amazing. When John McClane runs through the glass shards in his bare feet, I air quoted bare feet, after Hans has his men shoot at the glass partitions in the computer room, Bruce Willis is wearing special rubber shoes designed to look like his own bare feet. One can see this if looking closely as his feet appear quite unnaturally large in some of these crucial barefoot scenes. That's funny. So we hadn't addressed it yet. This was Alan Rickman's first movie. He had done some TV stuff and obviously a lot of the theater, but this was his first film. Which I think is very cool, and he knocks it yeah. out of the park. So good. In the making of featurette, director John McTiernan revealed that a majority of the exterior shots of the building showing explosions were real, full-scale explosions set off in and around the actual building. Damn, it's a different time period. The '80s were the Wild West. They didn't care about safety. Yeah. Uh, at the suggestion of, I'm just moving on to another fact because I forgot what I was going to say. At the suggestion of director John McTiernan, Ludwig von Beethoven's Ode to Joy is the musical theme of the terrorists. Hans Gruber, the terrorist leader, even hums it at one point in the movie. Film composer Michael Kamen at first thought it was a sacrilege to use Beethoven in an action movie, telling McTiernan, I will make mincemeat out of Wagner or straws for you, but why Beethoven? McTiernan replied that... Wagner. With a B. Wagner. Oh, that's a typo on their part. I got a taste of that. It's it's correct, but you pronounce it Wagner. Uh, Okay, we're going to move past this guy because I'm looking dumber and dumber the more we talk. Mick Tiernan replied that Ode to Joy had been the theme of the ultraviolence in Stanley Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Kamen, a Kubrick fan, then agreed when asked how he's doing. What? What happened here? Oh, my God. And the secondhand embarrassment that I feel right now is... This is brutal. I'm falling apart here, Gab. Okay. We need... we This, we're, this, was... this extended episode is doing you no favors. This time was a typo on my part. I'm falling apart under the pressure of these extended times. Okay. McTiernan replied that the Ode to Joy had been the theme of the ultraviolence in Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange. Came in a fan of Stanley Kubrick, then agreed. Have you ever seen A Clockwork Orange? I have. Is it good? I've never seen it. Um... It's a classic for a reason. It's very well shot. Does the story make any sense? Not really. You know what yeah. I mean? It's just one of those movies where like things happen and some of the things are cool and some of the things are like, oh, that's so messed up. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, okay. When asked how he's doing while repairing his bleeding feet, McLean responds with, all things being equal, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. A famous quote of W.C. Fields misconstrued to be on his gravestone. I just thought he was saying he just wouldn't want to be there. Like, I didn't yeah. know that was a famous quote from something I else. I thought it was a very funny, like, 
also fuck Philadelphia, you know? I'm sure that that is related to your Mets fandom, but be careful with this wholesale saying fuck cities. Oh my God. But all 18 people that listen to this podcast, maybe 19 at this point, maybe 20 if we're really lucky. Um, Yeah. I'm a Mets fan and the Phillies suck. Um, You can say that. You can say you hate the Phillies. I do hate the Phillies. The city of Philadelphia is lovely in many ways. You don't like the Liberty Bell, Gab? The Liberty Bell is fine. We've been to Philadelphia so many times. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, this is not about Philadelphia. Also, Philadelphia kind of sucks. Oh, okay. You know what? I'm just going to breathe fast and go to the next fact. Okay. Line Yippie Kaye motherfucker was Oof. voted as the number 96 100 greatest movie lines by Premiere Magazine in 2007. 96 out of 100? Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, it's not okay. good enough to be number one. Yeah. But I think it's significant that they were like, of the 100 greatest movie lines up there is John McClane going Yippie Kaye motherfucker. What do you think number one would be? I don't know, probably like, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn or something like that's that. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like, yeah. Even if you have no idea what that's from, you've heard that line. Yeah. Bruce Willis suffered permanent hearing loss while shooting this movie. Um, in the scene where he's in the Nakatomi conference room and he kills the terrorist who says, next time you have a chance to kill someone, don't hesitate. He fires his Beretta through the conference table and just thanks for the advice. He suffered severe damage to his left ear. Uh, the stunt weapon specialist engineered blanks to be extra loud and produce extreme muzzles at the request of director John McTiernan. The close quarters under the table and the use of plexiglass to protect the actor from flying shell casings and wood splinters further increased the sound effect. In 2019, Willis said in an interview, due to an accident on the first Die Hard, I suffered two-thirds partial hearing loss in my left ear and have a tendency to say, what? The actor has worn a hearing aid for years, unbeknownst to most fans. Wow, that's first of all terrible <laughs> um i'm very sorry to hear that um yeah see the 80s wild west that would he never plays it happen very today. well because i can't tell in the movie that he has made himself partially deaf when he's firing that gun at all yeah maybe it's just honestly. a different take who knows yeah the, the take where he goes deaf isn't good enough <laughs> <laughs> also you know what i've noticed lately i often people will say things to me and i'll go what but not because I can't hear them because I haven't yet processed it. And then I'll be like, oh yeah, da, 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 da. And that's on me. So if you're here, if you're listening to this and I've done that to you, I'm sorry. I think everyone does that though. I definitely do that. Does not everyone do that? I mean, I, I've become very self-conscious about it because sometimes I just don't know what the fuck anyone is saying. And if I'm not, and I get to a point where I just smile and nod and I'm like, uh, <laughs> because I don't want to say what? <laughs> I mean, I, I definitely do that to some people too. It happens. It happens I to everyone. It might be the Judaism, honestly. Gab, we got enough people blaming things on Jews. I don't need you blaming <laughs> anything on Judaism right now, okay? What? <laughs> like, tell me that's not two-thirds of our family you're like oh yeah <laughs> just because that like sounds what? like a lot of our grandparents aunts mothers relatives <laughs> yes maybe that's true but it does not mean there's a direct correlation yeah 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 anyone can be annoying <laughs> yes okay continue 20th century fox formally admitted that die hard was a christmas movie after stating that it's the greatest christmas story ever told in a new trailer which marked the 30th anniversary of the film's release however wow. the debate on the christmas movie or not among fans continues to this day Hmm. Uh, I already mentioned the Coke thing. Ah, in Spain, the title was translated into Crystal Jungle. Excuse me? Yep. Spain? You you good? In Poland, it became The Glass Trap. What the fuck is wrong? The original title is an English idiom and is hard to translate correctly, as it would sound like it is hard to kill him or he dies slowly. 
uh, let me ask you something. Why is it called Die Hard? I don't know. I think that was literally suggested by one of the heads of uh, heads of the studio because the name of the book it's based on is Nothing Lasts Forever. Hmm. See, when I think of Die Hard, I think of like, oh, he's a Die Hard fan, like very committed, like um, really invested. Yeah, that makes sense. But I also think he's just like, these guys are going to die hard for fucking with John McClane. <laughs> I don't think so at all. I think that's definitely, I think that's the farthest thing from what it is. It's the second thing I think. Okay. The Hungarian title is Give Your Life Expensive. <laughs> the title of the sequel in Hungarian, Your Life is Even More Expensive. And the third part, Life is Always Expensive. Oh my God, that is hilarious. You know what? Well, sadly true. All three titles, sadly yeah, true. For real. Oh my God. Hart Buckner, who played Ellis, is the son of actor Lloyd Buckner, who co-starred with Frank Sinatra in The Detective, based on the novel by author Roderick Thorpe. This film is based on Thorpe's novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, which is a sequel to The Detective. Because he had starred in the big screen adaptation of The Detective, which came out in 1968, the original person who had, the original person who had to be offered the lead role in this movie at the age of 19 at the age of 73 frank sinatra wait a second wait a second i don't know what that means can you say you're you have a look yes, on your let, face let me like give I it a, be let me give it a, a better way of stating that because yeah. some of these are long-winded this movie is based on the book nothing lasts forever the right, book, which is the sequel to the frank sinatra book movie which is a sequel to a book that was already adapted into a movie starring frank sinatra because of the way it was adapted, they had to offer Frank Sinatra the right to star in this movie before they could go to anyone else. That's hilarious. So at 73 years old, Frank Sinatra did get the offer. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, fortunately, he turned it down. Wow. Can you imagine, like, what a different movie that would be if John McClane were an old fucking man? <laughs> in the book, he is an old man, actually. Oh. In the book, this nothing book sounds forever. like it sucks. The book sounds very, like, at first, when I first realized that this movie was based on a book, I was like, I'm going to read this book. I'm going to love this book. And now that I know a little bit more about the book, I'm like, you know what? I'm good with watching Die Hard. I don't need this book. Yeah. So obviously, as I said, it's based on the novel Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. The main differences between the book and the movie are that in the book, the main character, Joe Leland, is visiting his daughter and not his wife. There is an actual terrorist attack rather than an elaborately staged robbery. The love interest in the book is the flight attendant from Joe's flight into L.A., and his daughter dies at the end when the main antagonist falls and drags her to her death. Additionally, Joe is permanently crippled by the time the book is over. Nope, no thanks. I don't need that in my life. Yeah, I'm good without all of that. Yeah, life is hard enough. Life is very expensive, as the Hungarian <laughs> version tells me. Um, included among the 1001 movies you must see before you die by Steven Schneider. Wait a second. You didn't come up with this concept of movies to watch before you die? Or Apparently, I'm not okay? the first person to use the term. Is this all right because you didn't plagiarize and you changed it from see to watch? <laughs> copy, copy my homework, but change it just a little bit. <laughs> change if we change only, a couple words. If we only do a thousand and one movies, then then we'll be fucked. Or if we do exactly <laughs> yeah. that number, yeah. Yeah, it's over. It's curtains for us. Included among the American Film Institute's 2001 list of the top 100 most heart-pounding American movies. Yep, I believe that. After the uh, Here's the, the list I was talking about. After the release of Die Hard, movie studio executives were keen to copy the Die Hard formula of one man trapped in an enclosed location fighting off terrorists. These include Under Siege, Die Hard on a Battleship, Sudden Death, Die Hard in a Hockey Stadium, <laughs> Air Force One and Passenger 57, and Con Air, which are all Die Hard on various types of planes, 
Mm-hmm. Air Force One, I also like to say, is Die Hard, but the president. <laughs> Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, and Derailed, which are Die Hard on trains. These films were all the rage in the 1990s. Ironically, the Die Hard sequels themselves would move away from having John McClane fighting in an enclosed space, and each film ups the stakes. Mm. Interesting. Let me see here. Al Leung, who played the uh, terrorist who takes the candy bar, mm-hmm. improvised the scene where he's eating a crunch bar and a Mars bar a few moments before the SWAT team shootout, as he felt the scene could use some relief. Leung made sure to ask director John McTiernan for permission, claiming that he didn't want to get yelled at for taking food. Writer Stephen D'Souza said that assured him a longer life. I was killing somebody every eight or ten pages, but that moment made him interesting. He's one of the last guys to die. That's great. Because they were obviously still writing parts of this movie as they were shooting. And it really is. It's a little sad when he uh, when he does bite it, because you know what? I like random crunch bar terrorists. That's oh, amazing. That he like has great. nothing else to do with the rest of the movie except for like that. He does that and he shoots those random SWAT guys. So good. I think that that is all the facts I have for you. And since we have no more facts, perhaps this is a perfect time to get some. And since we have no more facts, perhaps this is. Don't you laugh? She's laughing because <laughs> I started this. I, I messed it up, but I just started talking again, and I thought it I was, could do it seamlessly. It was a real badgeant beauty. No, it wasn't. If if you now, I feel like I have to leave my failed attempt at the beginning in too, so that the people, <laughs> so that there's context for this. She just started laughing at me. You'll you'll hear it now. I'm gonna leave in my my botch. Mail time when you control the mail. You control information. Mom asked me to ask you if there's any mail for us here by mistake. What? So let's get to some comments before sure. we get to our verdicts on Die Hard. So these are comments on the Batman Mask of the Phantasm episode. The first comment we have is from Kate Tastic, who is a member of the Yappy Dude community, who said, first. Wow. Hi, Kate. Thank you. And hopefully that is not your last comment on Movie Watch Before You Die. Yeah. Our second comment is from Batgirl Fangirl, who, as you could probably guess, is also from the Yappy Dudes community. Wow. Who said, I so love this movie. Nice job, Gavin Dillon. Oh, yay. Glad you love it. Um, also glad that this isn't a lot of hate mail directed at me. No, I, I don't believe that there's any direct hate mail. Cool. And finally, we have uh, Scotty Cameron sent in an email. Mask of the Phantasm. Hey, Dylan and Gab, great show as always. I'm sad that Mask of the Phantasm wasn't the movie one of you picked that ended up being the movie you mutually agreed was a movie to watch before you die. Oh, well, I'm with Dylan on this one. I may be a little biased because I'm also a huge Batman fan. We're both biased, Scotty, for sure. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely biased, but... I understand Gab's reasoning. She's not as into comic book movies as Dylan and I are. I think Kevin Conroy is the best Batman. He captures the duality of the character of Batman well. I think the actor in live action who comes closest would be Christian Bale. I think Bale managed to convey that Bruce Wayne and Batman are two different halves of the same person. Not quite as well as Conroy, but still well. I love Keaton as Batman. However, I always felt underwhelmed by him as Bruce Wayne. Still Mm. in the top five Batman, though. Mark Hamill is my favorite Joker. Gab's making faces because I know that she's a huge Michael Keaton fan. Love him. That, that's why I thought you would have more love for this Batman movie. And it turns out you just enjoy Michael Keaton's Batman. Yeah, I just You're like, not like Michael a Batman Keaton. fan. Yeah. No, I've only really ever seen Michael Keaton as Batman like once or twice. And once you told me that after the fact, I was like, this ain't good. <laughs> this ain't gonna go well. <laughs> My jaw dropped when I heard Gab say she didn't like The Dark Knight, which that's typically the superhero movie people who don't like superhero movies like. Oh, well, as Joaquin Phoenix's Joker said, and I paraphrase, art is subjective. 
I love comic books and comic book movies. I have amassed a collection of them over the years. I even aspired to be a comic book writer and artist during my early years of high school before diving into history and government and pursuing a political science degree. I still enjoy the medium and reading the material. I agree wholeheartedly with the point about voice actors and how iconic voice actors should voice the parts in feature films in the context of Mario and Batman the Animated Series. For all my gripes about the Michael Bay Transformers movies, I do have to give Bay and company credit for having Peter Cullen voice Optimus Prime in those movies. Truly, he is Optimus Prime. I would rather have Cullen as Optimus instead of The Rock by sheer virtue of Rock being more popular than Cullen. I think The Rock would be a terrible Optimus Prime. I will say the Transformers does have a bright future ahead now that Michael Bay is no longer directing the movies. Bumblebee was amazing and Rise of the Beast looks promising. Stay yappy. I'm going to be honest. I have no love for the Transformers movies. I don't know about you. I've never really seen them. I've seen, I think, two or three of them, but I was never even a fan of the first one. So I was like, not into it. And he sent us a picture of his comic book collection. Wow, that's impressive, listener. Um, I know that probably sounded disingenuous because I don't really care, but uh, that's a lot of of anything. To have that much of one item is is truly it means you're passionate. I did used to have a comic book collection like that. I don't know if I ever told you this. I think it was Hurricane Sandy. Um, we had them in. It was my father-in-law's garage, and I remember I, you know, the whole place had flooded, and I go into the garage, and I went, they're all in plastic, those Mylar bags. Maybe they're safe. Maybe they're safe. And I pick one <laughs> up, and I turn it over, and just water poured out of the Mylar bag, oh, and I was no. like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember your comic book collection. It was wild. That's that's when I stopped uh, collecting as dearly as I do, you know. Um, yeah. I, I still do, like, buy comic books occasionally, but not frequently. Oh my God. Well, RIP to that. I remember it being crazy. I remember it being in your, your jungle bedroom. Like I remember. Yes. Yeah. Which still sounds super weird out of context, but yeah. <laughs> I had listeners. I had no choice. My mother decided that growing up, my bedroom would look like a jungle. And that and is what that, I suffered through. It was Ninja Turtles. Well, that was totally my choice. I was super yeah. into the Ninja Turtles at the time. <laughs> of course. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I remember that. And I'm sorry to hear that about your comic book collection. Um, who would have thought that those bags were not weatherproof? What I'm saying is, Scotty, keep them above ground. Second floor, always. (laughs) Okay, now that we've gotten the important things out of the way, should we get back to Die Hard? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Should we get to our verdicts, which I think I'm going to be pleasantly surprised with? Uh, Well, I haven't said that. Oh, God. Yeah, let's get to the verdict. You go first. Do or do not. There is no try. The guilty will be punished. Obviously, I think this is a movie to watch before you die. I think that this is a movie that you have to see. And I I will always say that I probably didn't watch it in the best circumstances, similar to honestly how you ended up watching it, Gab. I remember this movie was coming on TV um, and I just said to myself, I've never seen it before and I feel like I've heard this title before, so why don't I watch it? And I can tell you, I watched the movie, you know, I think it took like two and a half hours to air when I watched it on TV or maybe three. And I remember my brother got home and they were airing it again immediately afterwards. And I went sit down and I watched (laughs) that movie immediately again. And I was like, just looking at him like, this is awesome. Right. And he had never seen it. No, neither one of us had seen it at the time. Wow. So Gab, obviously I think this movie to watch before you die. I think this is one of my favorite movies ever. What do you think? Well, Dylan, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm not an action movie person. Um, I I went into this thinking I was going to hate it. 
Um, I went into it thinking it was going to be cheesy and overdramatic and that there was going to be a lot of fighting that was gratuitous and unnecessary. And it was going to be just a little bit too testosterone for me. And I will say I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how wrong I was. Um, it was, it kept me on the edge of my seat. It was interesting. The writing was great. I laughed. I was left in suspense. Um, it was the perfect time of year. It felt very Christmassy. It felt like the best kind of Christmas movie where I wasn't beaten over the head with it. Um, I loved it from start to finish. And I will agree. It is a movie to watch before you die. Totally. Oh my God. <laughs> so obviously we've agreed on vampires kiss now. After the fact. Yes, this is our first time agreeing in the moment. In the moment. And it's our first time agreeing on a movie that one of us has actually suggested to the other. Yeah, yeah. This is this is truly, I think, the first. I think, um, and, and, and you know what? I'm going to say this too. I don't think that it was because we broke the ice and we've agreed already. And so now we're just going to agree all the time. Like I genuinely, like if, if we had never gone back and revisited Vampire's Kiss, I would still say, oh man, did we just give away a lot of... Oh no, what? we didn't. No, I, was gonna say, I think we're always we confused did... by time frames. No, you're yeah. good. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought maybe this was you were going to hear this before you heard the previous episodes that we have not agreed on. But obviously, like the time space continuum doesn't work that way. So, um, yeah, I think um, I I was expecting to not like it. Uh, and I'm not just saying it like I'm not going easy on this movie because we've already agreed. Um, obviously we've disagreed a bunch since then. Um, this is the one. This is great. I loved it. It's it's. I hope to watch it again. Uh, maybe Christmas Eve. I will sleep so soundly tonight, and I could not agree with you more. And I do think it should be a Christmas tradition. Yeah, agreed. And you know what? For two Jews, I'll take it. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays to you all. And we can all agree that Die Hard is a Christmas movie and a movie to watch before you die. Yippee kaye, motherfucker. Motherfucker. Gab, <laughs> do you have something picked out for our next episode? I do have something picked out for our next episode. Are you ready to hear it? Yes. All right. So I am going with a more modern movie uh, that is something that I saw in the movie theaters that I wasn't expecting to love that I actually wound up adoring. Uh, I am very excited to hear what you think. This is a movie uh, written and star written by and starring Amy Schumer, who is a, a comedian that I really like. Oh, um it is called Trainwreck, and it stars Amy Schumer and Bill Hader. Uh, LeBron James is in it. It's a phenomenal movie. I'm very excited for you to see it. As this episode ends in a train wreck, you'll hear Trainwreck next time. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring except the four assholes coming in the rear in standard two-by-two two cover formation. Now I see him! They're using artillery on us. <laughs>